Hello, and welcome to the Green Minds podcast. Showcasing the science, stories and solutions behind climate change with Phoebe Scott, Alex Miller, Lottie Flashkiss and Guy Wilkinson. Hello and welcome to another episode of the IB Green Minds podcast. My name is Guy Wilkinson and this week I have the pleasure of introducing Talal Hassan, CEO slash Carbon General of 4401, a carbon removal company utilising the natural power of mineralisation. In a previous life, Talal was a solicitor. He's also exited two businesses, as well as spending some time in private equity focused on deploying capital in Oman. Talal, thanks for coming on the show today. Pleasure to be here, Guy. Great, thanks for coming. Um, Firstly, I just wanted to get uh, to know a little bit about your, your background. You spent most of your education in the UK, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your, your background and your connection to Oman. Yeah, sure. So born in London, uh, from Oman. I've spent probably half my life in, in both countries. Um, so, yeah, I started my career as a, as a solicitor, as you, as you mentioned, um, corporate lawyer, and, um, and very quickly... And I um, really enjoyed the commercial part, so went in-house on the investment side of things, and uh, particularly on the energy side. And eventually, uh, that took me into uh, venture capital. So uh, prior to 4401, I was a venture capitalist. Nice. Okay, perfect. And um, you, you've successfully exited two previous businesses that were by the looks of it, completely unrelated to sustainability and climate change. So I just wonder what uh, sort of what changed your outlook and why you, you've got into the business that you're running at the moment. Yeah, great question. So so prior to um, prior to starting my career as a lawyer, I did have some entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, one of them was a, a startup which I'd set up in in London um, for property management and uh, kind of digital di- digitalizing. Uh, the whole property management experience uh, and kind of what made me flip back to entrepreneur entrepreneurism was really um, my, my time as, as a venture capitalist so uh, we were we were looking at technologies that could help us solve challenges that we had in Oman and one day kind of turned up to the office pulled up uh, a news website and right there on the headlines in Oman and on the international news site was um, there was a discovery of the largest dead zone uh, just off the coast of Oman. Um, for, for those of you who, who aren't aware of what a dead zone is, it's basically a mass of, um, of the ocean which, uh, which has um, no oxygen content. So um, this was the size of Florida, just to give you a, an idea of the, the which which proportion. side of Oman, which whereabouts? The uh, the Gulf of Oman, so mm. it's kind of yeah, just mm. um, in between Oman and, and Iran, I believe. So uh, so that kind of led me into okay, what why has this happened? And um, started diving into into the reasons, and um, and that led me down the path of CO two emissions. And the fact that our seas are absorbing an extraordinary amount of CO2 emissions, which are, um, you know, which are man-made. So um, that led me down the path of carbon capture. And, uh, and this is how, uh, this was four years ago, and this is how we kind of laid the foundations of, um, of 4401 and, and um, wanting, to, wanting to do something more impactful. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, and... 
I, I've mentioned already that the 4401 use mineralization as a way to capture carbon dioxide. I was just wondering if you could delve a little bit into the science of how that actual physical process works. Sure. So, um, so we we actually store um, carbon dioxide. We're, we're a um, carbon storage company. So, um, and we use mineralization to help us uh, with that process. So, effectively, um, first of all, the, the first question everyone always asks me is, is why are you called forty four point zero one? So, uh, just just for the audience. Um, uh, 44.01 is the molecular mass of carbon dioxide. Um, that's where we derive our name from. And uh, so what we normally do is um, with CO2 capture, uh, you then have to do something with that CO2. And uh, at the moment, a lot of solutions out there are focused on non-permanent storage, i.e. putting it into a depleted oil well, for example. Uh, we offer a different solution where we take that CO2 and we uh, react it with a, um, a rock. Uh, this is called, it's a weathering process. And uh, what we get from that is a solid, stable rock at the end of it. And that whole process is called mineralization. So effectively, we're, we're taking CO2 and, and converting it into rock. So it's removed permanently forever. Okay, and I know I think it's Project Vesper is using olivine. Is that the same uh, same product that you guys are using as well? That's a superb question. So we're not using olivine. Uh, we are using a rock called peridotite, mm -hmm. and peridotite's a really interesting rock because it's it's typically found quite deep underground. Uh, we're talking thirty miles underground near the Earth's uh, crust. So there are a few places in the world where uh, peridotite actually comes to the surface and um, funnily enough Oman is uh, one of those countries where we have a significant amount of peridotite that comes to the surface and what normally happens is that peridotite it reacts with uh, with with rainwater and the co2 in the atmosphere and it causes the mineralization and what our technology is focused on is effectively taking that natural process and speeding it up Okay, great, interesting. And just for my own uh, interest, whereabouts in Oman is uh, does peridotite occur? Yes, uh, so it's that there are a few pockets of it uh, in the city in Muscat. But um, obviously, we we're not going to uh, we're not going to uh, start CO two injection in the middle of the city. Uh, but it's it's mostly kind of north mid mid north of uh, of Oman so it's quite remote areas which uh, which is really helpful um, so we're not in anyone's way uh, but that mountain range also spreads all the way up to the United Arab Emirates which is also our um, uh, is also a site which we're looking at and also a country we're looking at and we should hopefully be doing something there later this year as well so how much actual peridotite do you need or do you have to make this process necessary viable yeah so so um peridotite actually is probably one of the most absorbent uh, rocks for for co2 mineralization so we we reckon there's it could be as high as one ton of peridotite being able to capture and store one ton of co2 uh, and just to give you an idea of how much peridotite there is that comes to the surface uh, 
of the earth today um we calculate that in just a couple of countries alone their peridotite uh, resources would be enough for us to remove all the co2 that humankind has emitted ever wow so it, yeah it is uh, it is quite a, a powerful uh, rock to be using for mineralization how how accessible is that because it's you know it's all very well saying okay we've got enough peridotite to remove all of humanity's emissions but how much is that actually reasonable to to actually access yeah again superb question and and unfortunately it is site specific so uh you can ask me that in a few years time once we've uh, explored a few more sites and we have more seismic data but um but yeah at, at the moment you know it is looking promising and um we have identified a few sites where we can make a really big impact do you think we'll get to the point where or do you think you'll get to the point where you have used most of the easy to access peridotite in perhaps like rural areas that aren't populated and that you then have to move into perhaps areas that are populated um and we know that there's been a lot of areas that have had fracking um and they even months later after the fracking's uh finished they still get tremors um and i think there's a lot of uh conversation to be had around social consent i wondered if that's an issue that you guys are, are considering as well Absolutely. We have to take all these things into consideration. Um, to, to answer your question, we have enough deposits to keep us busy for the next decade or two. Um, if we were to if we were to deplete some of those and and have to move, I think my preference would be to, to move offshore rather than um, in populated areas. Uh, and just precisely for the reason that you said there, we we wouldn't want to we wouldn't want to put people in danger. We wouldn't want to do, um, you know, an injection process close to populated areas. And um, I think it's uh, it's much safer and um, and also has various other advantages doing this process offshore. Okay, nice. Thank you. What's your current business model? Yeah, um, great question. So. Something which we noticed when we started this journey was that there's, there's a lot of money going into carbon capture. And the challenge which these carbon capture companies have and, and these large emitters have is what do you do with that CO2? And we wanted to offer a frictionless solution for these companies that have CO2. And this is where our business model comes in, where it's a think of it as a, a carbon mineralization as a service model. So we offtake CO2 from uh, from suppliers and uh, or emitters, and um, and we mineralize that on their behalf for a small fee. And in turn, those credits that are generated, the carbon credits, uh, we can pass back on to the customer. And how do you go about pricing those those removal credits or rather those storage credits? I believe you've just asked the billion dollar question. <laughs> 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 we we could probably talk about this for uh, for a couple of days. <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, this this is um, there is a bit of a fragmented market at the moment uh, when it comes to carbon credits, and uh, there's a lot of movement in this space, and uh, things are starting to fall into place. However. Uh, the type of credit we're producing from this process is 
different because it is a carbon removal credit. We are permanently removing that CO2. So the, the analogy I like to give is um, kitchen sink. Uh, you've got the plug in the kitchen sink, the tap is on, the, um, the water is overflowing. Uh, in this scenario, the water is CO2. The kitchen sink is, is our planet. Um, so carbon neutrality is all about at the moment today, turning that tap down, uh, you know, ideally turning that tap off. But in reality, that's not possible. Uh, the world will grind to a halt, you know, logistics, um, you know, heavy industry. Uh, these are all emissions which, which we need as humankind to live. So what we are focused on is carbon removal, i.e. pulling the plug on that sink to try and reduce the amount of CO2. And we, we believe that it is a tool um, in the fight against climate change. It's not a silver bullet solution. I don't think there is a silver bullet solution for this. So the type of credit we're producing is different to versus a um, typical carbon swap credit where you have a plant that's emitting a certain amount of CO2, um, another plant that's emitting less, and one plant simply buys carbon credits from the other so that they can continue to emit more. Uh, this is this is a very different type of credit, which uh, typically at the moment is driven by the voluntary market. It's driven by conscious corporates who understand the space and um, are genuinely going out and trying to uh, um, trying to negate their their emissions. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you. Um, I, I think I'd be interested to hear on your views on the voluntary carbon market and really what's needed to help that market rebuild trust and to scale as well, because there have been a number of instances irregularities, I guess you can you can say. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, and it's something which, to be honest, we're still trying to wrap our heads around as well. Um, there's there's some great. Uh, verification agencies out there and the um, the challenge is uh, just engaging with them and actually coming up with a methodology for your process because the mineralization process is relatively new uh, that's something we're doing along with others in the um, in the same space so it is all about um, verifying the process we can't verify ourselves you know, we can't um, go out to the public and say, hey, guys, you know, we've we've mineralized X amount of CO2. Uh, here are the credits, buy them from us. Uh, that we have to do that via a, a trustworthy third party. So this is where the verification agencies come in. And um, so we're starting to see, especially over the, the past six months, I'm starting to see a very big uptake in knowledge on on the CO2 space in general and on the carbon removal space and why it's so important. And people now are actually starting to understand and the corporates as well, are starting to understand the difference between these uh, these types of credits. So, you know, you have a emitting plant that um, switches to solar and reduces their emissions slightly. That's gonna be, be a very different type of carbon credit to a plant that's capturing all their CO2 and then um, storing it or mineralizing it, for example. So we're starting to see that knowledge come into the market now. And 
as that know-how picks up, we're starting to see people ask questions um, around how these carbon credits are generated and who's verified them. So, um, so yes, uh, th things are improving, and uh, we're hopeful that uh, that the, the verification agencies will uh, will really pay, play a key role in this moving forward. Mm, that's very exciting. I was wondering just how scalable this business is. Uh, obviously, you're basing yourselves in in Oman for the moment. How many other geographies around the world can can do this and can support a, a mineralization uh, process? like at 440 superb question so um so our process we we focus on peridotite uh there are others out there there's um some great work being done by carbfix out of iceland uh they focus on basalt uh which is a, a different rock to ours so um you know in, in terms of scaling mineralization that there are companies out there that are doing this and it is scalable um Going back to us to 4401, uh, you know, Oman, UAE, the, the region, the GCC region is, is of interest to us, um, partly because we actually have a really high um, emissions per capita rate. I think uh, we're in the top 10 in the world. The, the GCC countries are all in the top 10 or the top 15 in the world. So, um, so we are focused on on um, locally first to try and try and fight this challenge locally um, but we have found other countries uh, western countries which have imperial resource coming to the surface which are on our horizon for expansion in the future nice are you allowed to say where whereabouts uh, <laughs> there are quite a few um, but um, the the us is is definitely uh, on that list for us nice very exciting what are the risks in terms of environmental damage on the local scale um if if any yeah it's a superb question again um and you know this was this was where we had the most um um opposition to to us actually doing this process was how can we prove it's it's safe and at the end of the day, we are an ESG company, so we would never do anything that would harm the environment. We're quite the opposite. We're trying to do this to save, to save the planet. So in terms of um, the byproduct from mineralization, we produce two types of rocks. It's uh, a calcite and it's serpentine. Uh, both rocks are inert. And um, actually the, the calcite, the calcium carbonate, actually has a, um, uh, other uses for medical, food, and industrial. So um, in the future, I guess there's there is a, an opportunity to to use mineralization to to produce other minerals, but um, so in terms of the the byproduct, we're we're okay. Uh, we're, what we're producing is inert and won't have an effect on the environment. Uh, the the other challenge is uh, CO two leakage. So we are at the moment using water for our CO two. So think of it as uh, injecting soda water into um, into our process. Uh, the good the good thing about that is if that water were to come back to the surface, it, it would be very unlikely because we are uh, injecting it at depths. But if it were to come to the surface, that CO two would just dissipate back into the atmosphere. So um, so there's no kind of uh, major risk of water contamination. 
And um, the other risk is um, around uh, kind of soil pH levels. So this is kind of CO2 going into the soil and um, causing um, causing the pH levels there to uh, to lower. So uh, again, we we inject quite deep and we monitor. Um, monitoring is is really important. We need to know where the CO2 is going. We need to make sure that CO2 is reacting with the peridotite where we want it to react. So um, so these are these are the methods we're using to to ensure that there is no environmental damage. Okay, this next question possibly links back to the verification and certification process we talked about earlier, but how do you guarantee permanence? You, you, you mentioned just there that you know, there is obviously a possibility that it could come back to the surface. What measures are in place to, to ensure that that doesn't happen? Yeah, again, this is probably the most important uh, point uh, that you've asked earlier. Uh, so it, it is to do with, um, with monitoring. So we, we would have to monitor that CO2 that we've injected and we'd have to demonstrate that it has actually been, um, you know, that it has reacted with the prototype and formed, um, formed into calcite and, and serpentine. So yes, we, we do need to use tracers. We do need to use other methods as well for, for monitoring that, um, that CO2 throughout its life cycle until it is fully mineralized. And only once it is fully mineralized, that's when you're kind of considered that you have removed the CO2 and, and the credit is generated. Okay. And going more broadly and comparing it to other carbon removal techniques at the moment, there's uh, someone on this climate change management and finance course at the moment who runs a nature-based solutions company. Um, and they do CO2 removal for about $9 a tonne using nature-based solutions. How does 4401 compare in terms of cost to, to that and other carbon removal techniques? And what does the, the long run cost curve look like, do you think? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. And this is something which uh, we could probably give you more detail um, around probably early next year once we've finished our uh, pilot project. Uh, however, the, the costs at the moment are slightly higher than other um, carbon removal uh, techniques out there, nature-based solutions out there. Um, however, what one place where I feel we will really stand out is on the monitoring. So, um, so we are hopeful that we should be able to um, mineralize uh, CO2 quite quickly compared to other solutions, which means that we would have to do less monitoring, and um, and that would lead to eventually a, a really nice cost saving that there are a variety of um, of other solutions and we aren't touting ourselves as a better solution uh what we are saying is we need all of them uh, yeah. there is a gigantic amount of co2 that we need to remove from the atmosphere and from this planet so um the more the more of us there are the, the better great okay thank you and 4401, you have a, a couple of partnerships with some quite big names like Climeworks, for example. I just wondered how, you, how you're working with, with those guys. Yeah, so um, the Climeworks one is, is a great, great partnership. Um, so we will be, as, as we mentioned, we see our customers as being 
people like Climeworks or carbon capture companies. So um, what's great is that Climeworks are, you know, they've been through this process before with um, with their mineralization that they're doing in Iceland. So um, it's nice to have their confidence in our process and what we're doing. So they would be um, sending us a unit to Oman where we would do direct air capture. And with that captured CO2, we will put that through our mineralization process to, to permanently remove the captured CO2. Okay, nice. And you, you've also got another another partnership with uh, an Oman base. Is it is Wakud an accelerator or? Yeah, sure. So one thing which, uh, which we quickly realized when we started this journey was um, if we were to, uh, so when we, when we remove a, a ton of CO2 and we create a, a carbon credit, we need to measure the whole life cycle of that, of that CO2. And in some cases, you know, you're going to have emissions, whether that's for transportation, whether that's to power your injection pumps or whether it's to, to power your, um, your direct air capture units. And the challenge we have in our region is that um, most of the power is derived from a fossil fuel driven grid. So we have these gas-fired um, turbines um, that um, produce power. So we actually did a back-of-the-envelope calculation and we discovered that if we ran a direct air capture unit, for example, um, using our fossil fuel-driven grid, we're actually going to emit more CO2 uh, in the life cycle than, um, than what we're going to pull out. So, <laughs> so the, first, the first step was, okay, great, you know, we need to do this from renewable using renewable energy and luckily enough in the region we have 300 plus days a year of solar so that was the first step um, leveraging off solar pv solar thermal as well because there is a heat element that we need and um and doing that so that we can dramatically reduce the um the co2 footprint of what we're doing and then we came across a challenge of well what do we do at night and we looked at uh, battery storage and battery storage at the moment is is still quite expensive. It's coming down dramatically and the numbers have, have changed quite a lot since we've done this exercise last year. So we're probably going to have to redo that exercise again soon. But um, one area which uh, came up as uh, a really promising area is uh, biofuel and uh, in particular biodiesel. So we invested in Wakud, so it's a subsidiary. Um, it's an investment for us. And Wakud is a um, is Oman's first biodiesel um, production facility. So they collect used cooking oil from restaurants and um, hotels in Oman, and they convert that into a biodiesel, which burns with around 90% less CO2 emissions than petrodiesel. So our partnership there is, um, it is, an investment, but also it's uh, it's to allow us to have access uh, to um, to the biofuel, which we can then use in diesel generators for um, for running our process. Ah, so that's really interesting. It's a good excuse to get lots more shawarmas there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was wondering. I think we'll go on to funding now. Um, I know you've been fundraising recently, which is really really exciting. I was wondering how you found that um that process specifically being a, a carbon removal company um and also sort of what the cost of capital looks like at the moment for for the carbon removal sector 
Yeah, it was. Um, uh, we should be announcing the uh, the results, so to say, or the um, the actual funding round, uh, kind of middle of August. So watch this space. Uh, but um, it was actually a really nice exercise. Uh, we ended up um, having several conversations, and the the no the knowledge in this space has just increased dramatically from when we first started this journey 12 months ago. And it was just really nice to see um, so many investors that are knowledgeable in this space and understand the challenge and um, and that were like-minded. You know, for me, that was the most important thing. And, and the thing that worried me the most when we went into this funding round was finding like-minded investors. Um, I think it's, it's really important people who can buy into the, the purpose, what we're doing, why we're doing it, and who are going to be, um, you know, more worried about the impact versus um, versus just purely financial um, gains. So, so we were really um, really happy with the result, and um, it was uh, it was really nice to see uh, investors just spending a lot of time on this sector and understanding the sector inside out. So, um, so yeah, uh, watch this space. Uh, we should have um, the announcement coming out in the next few weeks. That's very exciting. Well, con- congratulations. Um, Thank you. I just wanted, because there are a couple of um, large carbon capture, uh, I think quite often direct air capture uh, companies, particularly in the US. And it appears that the only place that they can get funding from is fossil fuel companies. Whether that's out of a genuine uh, genuine belief that 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 the fossil fuel companies have that they do want to remove CO2 or whether they're doing it as a bit of a greenwash exercise. Um, we don't know. Um, but I, I just wondered, you, you've mentioned that you've been very lucky in finding investors that are behind your behind the purpose, but other, other projects seem to be struggling to get funding for carbon capture projects, basically. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, and we we looked internally within ourselves as well for this. You know, should we be working with uh, with companies that that have emissions? You know, fossil fuel being a great example. Mm. Um, and at, at the end of the day, what what we kind of decided as a company is uh, we need to remove CO two. Uh, and for now, where that source of CO two is is with the emitters that's um that's where the co2 is you know at least until uh direct air capture um scales further and it is scaling don't get me wrong but um it's still got a bit bit more to go so you know for us um whether we take whether we're taking co2 from a gas fired power plant or from a direct air capture um unit uh, for us, we would prefer to be negative emissions and take it from a, a direct air capture um, company. But at the same time, uh, we do need to help uh, others decarbonize as well. So we are looking at what we call unavoidable emissions. So for us, that's that's power plants, that's uh, steel mills, um, it's alternative energy, so blue hydrogen. Um, we're looking at um, those types of um, those types of emitters 
because for us that's a, a really good middle ground where we kind of um, solve a big challenge for the uh, for the energy companies there, and we also entice them into uh, into into the whole carbon removal space. Nice. Yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint. And uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We have got to work with them ultimately if we're going to get to net zero by 2050. Looking at the Gulf region in general, what do you think their, their prospects are for decarbonization and where are they in the journey at the moment? Yeah, great question. So we've um, we've actually been really impressed with, uh, with the uh, reception we've received um, as 4401 going out and talking to large state-owned uh, entities in the energy space and people who are looking to do stuff in carbon capture. And um, yeah, we're, we're, it looks promising. Uh, people understand the space, uh, you know, just um, in general, the GCC is quite a uh, industrial um, area. Uh, there are a lot of factories, a lot of plants, and people are now starting to, uh, to take notes of, of off the challenge and are looking, genuinely looking at their carbon footprint and how they can reduce that. So we've had some great conversations with people in the region and um, we're hoping to continue those and, uh, and offer, um, offer a massive uh, solution and help them solve, a, solve this challenge. Nice, great. And now some more sort of uh, advisory questions, really. What advice would you have for anyone or any of our listeners who might be looking at starting a business or just perhaps getting into the sustainability and climate change or perhaps even the, the carbon capture space? Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot. We could probably do a separate podcast on this. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's 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 interesting. You know, for, for us, um, purpose is, is really important why you're doing this. And I know you hear a lot of people... Um, on several podcasts and other mediums uh, just talk about purpose and why it's so important. But I think it's um, it's extra important in this space because, uh, you know, this, this, is, this is something which, and, and, you know, our view in 4401 is we, we, we don't have a planet that our children will be able to predictably hand over to the future generation. And that's something which really touched us and something which we all kind of work together every day we come into the office. It doesn't even feel like work, to be honest, when we when we come in, we just really enjoy what we're doing. And having that purpose just, um, it helps you think outside the box a little bit uh, rather than come up with challenges and um, and and, be stopped by those challenges it really kind of pushes us the extra mile to actually go out and find solutions so um so yeah my my number one advice would be um make sure you're doing this for the right reasons make sure you're doing it for the purpose and make sure the company culture is built around that purpose because uh the results you get will be much more compelling and much more um useful Great, great. And then just a final question, really, before we wrap up. If our listeners were to take away one thing from this podcast today, what would you want it to be? Yeah, um, I think everyone can do their bit. Uh, it's, um, you know, the uh, carbon removal scene is, uh, people think of it as a problem for industry, but actually in 
my opinion, it, it has a lot to do with consumers as well. So, um, so yeah, just uh, individually, you can make a difference. Uh, personally, I'm, I went carbon negative as of last year, uh, kind of helped by the pandemic because of uh, less travel, but, um, but yeah, offset my carbon footprint, uh, uh, kind of um, contributed towards uh, Climeworks's pioneer um, scheme where, where they offset um, some of your carbon footprint, planted trees, things like that to help me get to carbon negative. But I'm not saying that everyone should be doing that, but, um, but just watch your carbon footprint, you know, whether that's um, cutting meat consumption, cutting, um, you know, animal product consumption, um, transport, uh, offsetting your carbon footprint, if you will, if you want to. Um, I think everyone can make a difference. And I think the general public don't realize how much of a difference they can make with um, with some of their options and their lifestyle options great that's a, a really good uh, note to end on i think thank you well talal it's been a pleasure having you on the show today thank you very much for coming on green minds and i wish you the best of luck with, uh, with the future and your, your most recent fundraise as well thanks guy thank you <laughs>